0: Me please to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> and we're on this uh, series, short series, last week, this week, and next week. And then we're going to culminate it in a ministry fair uh, two weeks from now. And a series on servanthood, the path to greatness. And my thesis has been this: that I believe God is doing something in us as a church, He's maturing us and growing us up. And the servanthood issue is something he wants to breathe into us uh, for our personal lives and for our church as a whole to be able to go to the next phase of where he has for us. And so last week we talked about how God is eternally a servant. And if you remember, we did the passage in John 13 where we see Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And there's actually a common um, artistic picture of Jesus holding a towel and a basin to wash feet. And that we, disciples, are folks who, who always carry a towel with us and a basin to watch feet. But I think if we were going to make it more like you know this year, 2004, 2004, we'd have this. You know what this is? It's a modern-day plunger, okay? We'd have a plunger, and we'd have a scouring brush that we would carry this with us. That, as, that, that what marks us as disciples is, is we carry not a towel and, and a basin, which would be a lot simpler, Uh, But this is what the equivalent was in the days of Jesus, that Jesus is one who has a plunger and a scouring brush to clean toilets, that that's our God. That's how he presents himself to us. He is eternally a servant. That was last week's theme. That's the very nature of God. This is so difficult for us to handle that uh, I pray God would just give us a revelation. And out of that, his desire is to transmit that spirit of servant into us, and break us down and cause us to be servants to the world around us. But it is quite a task to take us, to be men and women. that We don't just serve once in a while if we like this person, but we are, if you see yourself, this is who you are. You carry the plunger and the scouring brush, to clean toilets. It's kind of symbolic of your person, your ministry, your life. No matter what God may call you to do and be, this is who you are. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And so what we're trying to do here is do emotionally healthy servanthood, which is a challenge. Because in a healthy family, everybody serves. I have four girls. If my 16-year-old still doesn't do anything to serve around the house, she doesn't, clean, doesn't bring her dishes to the, to the um, sink or wash dishes or clean, all she does is take, 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 take. It's a very unhealthy family. If I've got an eight-year-old that she does nothing, I think. And, 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 and a girl and maybe she does a little bit by like cleaning her room and take out, pick up all the garbage and all the cans, and, and once a week, my eighteen-year-old, or let if you have a twenty-five-year-old living at home, home, you know, your life kind of works around that person, and. Um, uh, that person maybe doesn't contribute. All they do is take. You've got a dysfunctional family. In a healthy family, everybody serves. In a healthy ch- church family, everybody understands they're a servant and serves in an appropriate way. Nobody overfunctions and nobody underfunctions. By overfunction, that means there's a thousand tables to be served. I try to serve all thousand. And I burn out and get bitter. That's overfunctioning. Some of us come from homes like that. We try to take care of everybody, and now we hate serving anybody. Others of us, we underfunction. We've been beat up and abused by life. Actually, some of you've been beat up and abused by churches and pastors like me. And you're here and say, "I'm not serving anybody again because I got my teeth kicked in." And so I'm here to get, and I'm getting out of here. And that's underfunctioning. That's not healthy either, because as you're going to see from last week and this week, our God is eternally a servant, and He is committed to transmitting that servant heart life to you. And in fact, he will hold nothing back to make you a servant, even though you can be fighting him all the way. So, I like this, you know, actually, there's a theme. The kingdom principle is this. It's the opposite of the world. The way up is down. And greatness is servanthood. And I like cause in Mark. I, I like to read whole books at a shot. It gives you a sense of the flow. If you look at Mark, and we're going to look at Mark 10 in just a few minutes, Jesus is always trying to see the arrow. Jesus is always trying to take his disciples down. So he talks to them, for example, about suffering and death. But they don't want to hear. They want to go up. Jesus starts rebuking. Jesus, never, Lord. We're going up. Jesus tries to talk to them about he's going to be killed. In Mark nine, the twelve ignore him and they start arguing, who's the greatest here? And then, as we'll see, this passage we're going to read right before we, we read we're going to read John ten thirty five. Jesus again for the third time talks about suffering and death. And to follow me, you take up your cross and you die. And these guys ignore it, and they start fighting about being right and left in the kingdom. But there's something in us. We can hear this teaching a thousand times. You can teach it. I know, I've done it. And still not get it. And every time Jesus tries to take you down, you're fighting to go up. But Jesus is saying, the way of the kingdom, the way up is down. It goes counter to everything around you, and greatness is servanthood. So with that... Um, let's begin reading in chapter 10, verse 35, this great passage. And I pray that as Jesus seeks to take us into the valley of suffering, because it is suffering to learn servanthood, that we will go with him and not be kicking and screaming the whole way. And we'll let him mold us into true kingdom greatness. All right, beginning in verse 35, let's read the section here. And actually, there's so much in this passage, I can't finish it today. I will finish it next week, the, the end of it. It's just so rich. All right, verse 35. Then James and John. Remember, this is the inner core of the disciples. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they asked, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want for me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Underline that phrase. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Let me pray for just a moment. Lord, I do ask that you would impart, Lord Jesus, your Holy Spirit into us in this room by revelation and by the power of the Holy Spirit that me may grasp, Lord, what it is you are saying and who you really are in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before I get started here, he says, not so with you, verse 43. He says, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Actually, he goes all the way here. Now, desire to be great is a good thing. You want to be great? I hope you want to be great. Because something in you made in the image of God, Genesis 1, he created you to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. He's given you something to do to be great. And that desire for greatness is God-given. The problem is the evil one takes that and distorts it, and we get crazy. We try to get great by money, by power over people, by um, stepping on people, by making a lot of money or education, and we do it the world's way. But God said, no, the desire to be great, or mega is the Greek word, is a wonderful thing. But the way you do it is you don't live your life for yourself. Your life is directed like a servant or like a slave for the interests of other people. It's quite a statement, isn't it? And by, what that means in Greek, to be a servant, is menial tasks or to wait on tables. That's literally what it means. So it means I look for opportunities to basically wait on tables. I look for little ways that I can serve and get under people. In fact, because it's, I'm, my God's eternally a servant, and greatness, the path to greatness in the kingdom is to be a servant. And so, for example, I hear, oh my goodness, an opportunity to serve in children's church, I grab it, ushering. My neighbor, elderly neighbor, is alone, and I want to make sure she is okay. Or someone sitting in the cafeteria alone, ostracized by everybody else, I walk over and sit with that person. Or again, I hear someone slander someone over here, and I serve that person by guarding their reputation and say, you know what, I'm not sure that's really true. But I look for opportunity to serve, whether it's ushering and greeting. I think of the folks who come here at 8 a.m. in the morning. There's a group of people that come every Sunday morning. 8 o'clock, they're upstairs in a room, and they pray for you and me. They pray for God to move in our lives, and they listen for his voice to unique things he may want to do in the service in terms of prophetic words, and they come and they hand me a piece of paper before first service for these two services coming up every week. They're serving us. We don't ever see them. It's a little thing, but in the kingdom, it's a big thing. Um, in two weeks, we're actually going to have a ministry fair at the, at the end of the service, and because we want to create an opportunity for you to, to see a lot of different ways that you can serve. And you can plug in and very practically begin to do it at least within our church family. Because it applies to your family, where you, if you're a single person with your roommates, your workplace, our church, and the, the context here is the church, and it applies out in, the, um, in your family as well. So it's all those different venues. But to be a servant is the definition for Jesus of a happy life of a great life, of a joyful life. There's a blessing that goes with it. In fact, the way Jesus understands it, if you're not a servant, that's not the path of joy. You will always find yourself twisted up. But I've come to liberate you so you would become great by being a servant. So now, so I say to myself, Lord, I am the Lord's servant. And I walk out into the world and say, Lord, here's my gifts and talents and health and all that I have at your service. It's a posture of life. And so I carry around... Not that I'm going to let myself get abused, not that I'm going to get stepped on, but Lord, I am your servant and I am the world's servant. Do you realize how radical that is to everybody and everything around us? So now in this passage, there are two incredible truths, There's actually more, but this week I want to bring you two. And it shows us the heart of what God is doing. Because many times God is doing something and we're doing something completely different. And I want to to illustrate this with James and John in this text. So the first is what, what the heart of what God is doing is God's maturing you into a servant. Now I want you to look at verse 35. And I want you to know if you see yourself in verse 35. When James and John come and they say, Lord, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, I sat down and I made a list of everything I asked God for. Being a servant was not on my list. Now, James and John were part of the inner core of three disciples, Peter, James, and John. James and John were nicknamed Sons of Thunder. They were passionate, they were zealous, they were uncompromising. In fact, James was the first uh, Christian beheaded in Acts chapter 12 because he wasn't going to tolerate compromise from anybody. And he probably was a little hard-headed, probably stepped on people to get things done. You know folks like that? He was a make-it-happen kind of a guy. And uh, he was definitely the leader of James and John. That's why his name comes first. Uh, but he was a thunderous person who probably lacked sensitivity and discernment. I don't know about you, but I don't like people like James. But yet God does, and God uses them. And God yet was going to make James a servant, and make John, who was also a son of thunder. The apostle John became known as the apostle of love, but you know what? He had an attitude also. And he wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans for not wanting to receive Jesus. He's like, destroy him, kill him, Lord, and let's move on and build the kingdom. So he wasn't. James and John are not thinking about being servants. They're thinking about, their request is, Lord, we want to be at your right and your left hand in glory. Kind of like, you know, I, I can't, some of you are in politics. You know, I, I work on Mayor Bloomberg's, for example, election uh, committee. He gets elected. Well, you made it, Jesus. I want a good position. is that the way the political world works? I work for you, Jesus, but if you make it all the way, we believe you will, make sure we get in the right and the left hand of the kingdom. In fact, this Peter guy, you got him slotted number one. He's very unstable. Look at him, jumping out of boats, saying things he shouldn't say, cutting off ears. This is the wrong guy to be leading the church. But me and John, no, us two, we will not compromise. We will be zealous. Make us your right and your left hand. So if you think you can find a church that doesn't have problems, you're mistaken. Here's Jesus. He's the pastor of these 12 people, and this is what he's got going on. So you should never be surprised that there's problems in any church because you're in the church. And I'm in the church, and and Peter and James and John are the people that God is working in to make them a servant. You see, Jesus knows they don't want to become servants. They want to rule. They want power. They want comfort. They want an easy life. Don't we all? That's what we're doing, and that's that's our prayer life. Jesus, the heart of what God's doing is, I'm going to make these three servants. That they're going to be a blessing to the world, even though it's not where they want to go. That's the great killer about discipleship where we want to go is not where he wants to go but this passage shows to us where God is going so Jesus says to him well you know all right I mean it's, it's so amazing we say to Jesus you know okay Lord you says ask whatever we, we want and you'll do it right and we quote Mark eleven twenty four, 24 and we believe Lord you'll do it and that's true and we quote it back and, and the Lord's so gracious that he goes okay now okay Pete what would you like you know he's, he's so kind and uh and then he says okay well can you can you drink the cup he said to James, can you drink the cup I'm, I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And he's referring to, just you know what he's referring to, is not, not that you know, Jesus is going to drink the cup of God's judgment for all of our sin and God's wrath, but he's saying to them, guys, are you willing to suffer for my sake so that you can really have a great seat? Because greatness, the way up is down, and the way to greatness is serving Are you going to suffer so that you can take a great place in the kingdom? And they're so arrogant, just like us. They say, I love verse 39, yes, we can do it. No problem. And um, their naive reply to me only illustrates us. Yes, I'm your servant, Lord. We have no idea what we're saying. We have no revelation of what it means to be a servant of the Lord Jesus. And so we say things very superficial. I'm the Lord's servant. And um, they don't get it. So here's here's one little teaching here on on this text. when Jesus says, what would you like me to do for you? Jesus does not give them their request. That it is true that whatever we ask for in prayer and faith, God will answer us. But if that request you have is self-serving or is presumptuous, God will answer you, no. <laughs> That's what he does here. You can ask it, but God loves you too much to give it to you. And uh, again, here's my prayer list. I, I started with some things I pray for. I, I say, oh, God, I'd like more time. You know, cause I, I, so I can get more things done. I'd like, I'd like a little bit more prosperity, if you will. Uh, I prayed for my girls. You know, they'd all become, they'd all love you and walk with you, and, and uh, you know, grow into healthy adults that serve you and other people. And, and I said, Lord, you know, by the way, if you could get someone to fix our home, that'd be helpful too. And uh, you know, I like some good health until about 120. And uh, I pray for Jerry. May she be filled with blessing and joy and grow in you and. And I prayed for my brother and my family and everybody and my my siblings. And then I said, Lord, change some of you in this room. You know, <laughs> change them too, so they become a little bit more like me. And uh, and then I just you know and I just realized none of my requests had to do anything about Lord make me a servant. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, here's all things I'd like. And then I thought about some of the things that you're all asking for. And I you know some of you are saying, Lord, I'd like a new home, new apartment. Some of you are saying, I'd like a new spouse. <laughs> some of you are saying, Lord, I'd like some new children some replacements. I'd like, Lord, to get out of traffic. You know, I'd like to live in a city with no traffic. I mean, I, one of my prayer requests just last week, I went to, you know, you know, what do you, Main Street to buy a bagel. But of course, Lord, I pray for no beepers or answer beepers. Uh, you know, I'm praying, oh God, I hope there's a quarter in this car for a parking meter. There isn't, of course. Then I got to go and buy my bagel and pray the parking attendants are not out like vultures today giving tickets, which they usually are. And, uh, but that's my prayer life. Lord, give me a better grade on my math test. Get rid of my acne. Help me lose weight. Lord, I hope the stock market goes up. I hope my money situation goes up. I hope, Lord, you get rid of this back pain. I hope you get me a new girlfriend. I hope you get me a new boyfriend. I hope you make my boyfriend pay. You know, I you know, I thought of myself even in school, even when I'm taking, like, I would, I'd be taking Bible courses or seminary, and I'm, I'm oh God, I pray for opportunities to, to, to impact people for Jesus. They might come to you. And not that these, none of these are bad requests. But I realized none of my requests for many years had anything to do with becoming, Lord, make me a servant that I might be great in the kingdom of God. I don't want to be like the world, but I want to be a servant of you and other people. That really generally has not been my prayer requests. Everything I've said, we pray. They're not bad requests. And God, thank God, he, he, he graciously listens to us and he answers many of them. And actually, some of us, when we get our prayers answered, we're so sad because we realize I didn't really want all that. And uh, there was a cost involved. And we pray for anointings and all that stuff. But I spent most of my Christian life, as I reflected on this, I said I, I spent most of my Christian life asking for the wrong things. And I'm just like James and John. You know, I thought of myself when I was in college, I was a member of, a, of an all African American church for three years when I was living in a certain city. And I was the only white guy in the whole church, so I, I stood out. And, uh, you know, so I remember I went up to the guy. I became friends, of course, with the pastor over time. And uh, I, I said, you know, I'd like to preach on, on Sunday. You know? I said, I got a word from God. And the church had a few hundred people. And he said to me, looked at me, and he said, No. Uh, and uh, I remember being really taken aback, but I, I realized he could see through me. I mean, he knew I was not ready to get up there and, and preach this congregation. Now, I'm sure it was going through his mind, like, this white guy is going to take off tomorrow, and he wants to dump a water on us and leave. And he clearly saw it character-wise. I was not in a place, place to do it, but I realized my prayers were, were far from where God was doing. I, I had a whole different agenda. There's a book by a, a fellow named uh, Tim Clinton called The Making of a Leader. And in this, it's, it's a well-known book. It's used in a lot of seminaries to train leaders. And what this fellow did for his doctoral work is he, he, he studied Christian leaders all through history. And he studied all the biblical leaders as well. And he tried, says, how does God make servant leaders? How, how come some people seem to grow into servant leaders over 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? And why is it that other people along the way somehow quit? They, they, they don't make it. And they never become servant leaders. And do you know folks like, is it true? Think of folks who for a long period of time have been believers, but actually by, by they grow into greater servant leaders or servants by the, as they grow older and not less. And he broke it down to, all, it's a very quite a complex dissertation. He kind of made it a popular book published by Nav Press. It's really good to read, The Making of a Leader. But he broke it down to things like this. He says, there are tests that God uses to make you a servant. And he gives the example for uh, Daniel chapter 1, for example. When Daniel was asked to eat the food of Nebuchadnezzar, and it was an integrity test that he had to pass before he could ever grow into becoming a servant. And he had to trust God to, as he obeyed him. And he goes, if, if a person doesn't pass that first servant test of integrity, they can't go anywhere. they got to go back and do it again. Because there are tests of obedience that God gives you, kind of like Abraham sacrificing Isaac. God asks you to obey him, even when it looks like a disaster. So you remain sexually pure. You, you start giving financially, and it's a test. So God can grow you and mature you into a servant. Things like re, uh, submitting to authority, spiritual authority. Goes God can't give you authority because servanthood is authority. He can't give it to you if you can't submit to authority that you don't like. And he goes, it's a test. You've got to grow into it. And uh, resol- resolving conflicts is another test. And it was a, It's a great, great book. But what I liked about it was that as I step back and look at over the last 25 plus years that I've been in leadership, I realized that I've really not understood this thing of servant. That I have taken on, in many ways, the world's understanding of greatness and just pounded on the church. And I realized for us to go forward, we've got to ask God by His grace to help us to get this. Because God is passionate to mature you into a servant, even if you don't want to. And I think in my early days, when New Life first started in 1987, About 1989, 1990, somebody wrote a book about cell group churches. And we were one of the case studies in the book. The book became a bestseller around the country. And we became well-known as a church at that time. And so I began to get asked to speak at conferences with this famous guy. And you know what it is, when you speak at conferences outside your city, it's very easy to exaggerate (laughs) about how great your church is. And you begin to think you're something more than you are. And I realized that I was out there, that I was over my head in terms of character, and that I was in trouble, that I had better get out of this limelight or I'm going to crash. And I remember, I was, it, was, it was an invitation to go to Tennessee with this fellow, it was a big invitation, and somebody couldn't make it, it was the last minute, he goes, would you go? And I remember on the phone, and God like shouting at me, you had better not go to Tennessee, because... I was looking for God. For, I was looking for power. I was looking for anointing. I was looking for buildings. I was looking for God to boom new life. We plant churches. I was asking for everything but becoming a servant. And the Lord, by his grace, pulled me back and said, this will destroy you. And I, remember, I, I can remember clear as day when I just said, no more, for years. Because I recognized there was a lot. This was, I, didn't, I couldn't articulate it then, but I was a long way from becoming a servant. I liked lording over people and leading, but I didn't grasp the servanthood thing quite well. Carl Jung, you may not agree with everything Carl Jung says, but he wrote a book uh, called Stages of Life, and he says one thing that is true. He says, what was great in the morning will be little in the evening. What in the morning was true will at evening have become a lie. In other words, in your early days, what you think is true about greatness... As you grow older in the evening, you realize, what I thought was great was a lie. Because in the evening, I can see more clearly as I grow older. And what I'm telling you, as I've grown older, and now I read this text, I understand it a little bit more. That what I thought was greatness was the world. I didn't get it. And what I thought was greatness, what I, everything I was asking for was foolishness. But now in the evening, a little bit later, I can look and say... Wow, I love that quote. What in the morning was true will at evening have become a lie. Think of how many things you know are not true today that you thought were true 10 years ago because you've grown a little bit older. This message is an adult message that the way up is down, that greatness in the kingdom is in the small things that are hidden and that God is committed above all else to mature you into a servant. You may not want to go there, but he's going to bring you there. Think for a minute with me of Joseph from Genesis 37. Joseph had a big mouth. Remember Joseph? He had his vision. People are going to serve him. Well, his brothers didn't appreciate it. And when you start speaking foolishness, you know you're not a servant yet. So God has to bring you into a pit like he did Joseph. He gets sold into slavery because God's going to grow him, and mature him into a servant. He ends up in Potiphar's house and he's got to serve the Egyptian uh, soldier Potiphar. And God's going to teach him humility. And as he's serving Potiphar, remember Potiphar's wife wants to go to bed with him. Here's a single man in his sexual prime who's got an opportunity to go to bed with a woman. And it's a test. And he, he rejects it to serve Potiphar and does not do it. Who you are in private is more important than who you are in public. He rejects Potiphar's wife. He ends up paying a price, ends up in prison now for another 10, 12 years. And in prison, he has to serve the warden and serve the other prisoners. And one of the prisoners whom he serves, when he interprets his dream, remember the baker and the cup bearer? Forgets him and leaves him in prison. Thirteen years he's in a pit, basically, serving people he doesn't like. But God is maturing him into a servant. He didn't ask to go there, but he's faithful in serving the little things. And then, bam, in a day, at, the, at, at a certain point, 30, 33 years old, God lifts him up and says, now you're going to be a servant. Going to serve all of Egypt and all the known world at that time because now your character is ready to do it and you'll do it as a servant to wield that kind of power. But I can't give that to you until you let me pass you through a cup and through a baptism and mature you so that you truly are a servant. Now, you think of what's going on in your life today, maybe a lot of things are happening that you never asked for because God is after maturing you into a servant. Your life is not about you. You and being comfortable and happy and rich and having your suburban house and everything going easy for you. That is not why God made you. He made you to be great, to be a blessing, to be a servant. So he's got to rip out of you that arrogance and that pride that tells Jesus what to do. So that you'll serve whoever he leads you to. And you'll do it with joy, not an attitude. And your heart is not one of grumbling, but a one of blessing. And yes, even as you're sorting it out, you're asking him to help show you, how do I do this in a healthy way? I mean, just think of Moses. I mean, Moses, 40 years God taught him to be a servant. In the wilderness, taking care of sheep. Think of Joshua, 40 years serving Moses before he takes over. Think of Paul, he becomes a Christian, 13 years he's in the desert before he starts his work. He's got to learn servanthood. He's got to go through some things. We don't know exactly what he went through. Elijah with Elijah had to be a servant of Elijah before he could be released to be a servant. I can go on and on. David had to serve Saul, who was a creep, for years before God would let him serve as a leader. What I'm saying, friends, is James and John want to be in the top dogs. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to make you into a servant. Because for you to have that kind of power and authority without a broken heart of a servant, you will destroy people. Come on, how many would say, God, give me a husband, give me a wife? We get it and we hate them. Because we didn't come into this, we didn't come into this to be servants. We came into this to get. The average pastor I read last week lasts three to five years. Because how many folks say, you know, I want to be, I want to be a leader. Give me a flock, really. Then they get it and they go, oh, I hate this. I'm gonna get out of this. And there's bodies laying everywhere. Because they realize I didn't I, because they didn't get it—that this is the call—is to be a servant. Not you're not like the world lording it over them. You're my servants, and it's my nature to be a servant. And my goal is not to not to, that you serve once in a while. I want to make you who you are. you see yourself, really, you see yourself as like I'm a servant of the Lord, not a doormat. But I am a servant of the Lord at home, as a parent, if I have children, with my children, with my parents, with my siblings, with my neighbors, with my friends with my church, with my workplace. That's who I am with a plunger and with a scouring pad. Now, I know you. I know you. There's water on this. Oh, my gosh. I know you. <laughs> Which brings me to point two. The great temptation, I'm, I'm sure you're saying what I say to myself. Lord, if I do this, if I follow you into this path of going down to be a servant, I know people, Lord, they're going to use me. They're going to take me like a sponge. They're going to use me and squeeze me out, and there'll be nothing left. I'll die, and I'll hate them, and I'll hate you, and I'll hate church, and I'll hate everybody. And, and, and these fears rise up, and I have them too, because the world is such a needy place. And for me to pick up the, the plunger and the, and the scouring pad as I'm a servant, Lord, it's really frightening. And just like when Peter said to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What about us? What are we going to get? And I think we have that same feeling. And so I'm actually, earlier in a chapter, if you go, Look at verses um, 20, 29 and 32. There's a great verse here. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, you'll serve your way. The way to get the great greatness is to serve your way. Good quote. Okay, at the heart of what God's doing, first is He's going to mature you into a servant. You've got to hear that. When things are going bad in your life and out of control, remember, God is maturing you into a servant, just like He was for James and John. But God also is about revealing Himself as the great multiplier. Now, let me explain that. You look in chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. It's like right before our text here. And I quoted it up there. You know, I tell you the truth. And what Jesus is saying, I tell you the truth. I want you to understand this is really true. This isn't, I mean, he's trying to put emphasis on it. I want you to hear this, he's saying. So you don't get afraid to serve. You can trust me. No one, I want you to underline, no one. That includes you. Because it works for everybody else, but not me. No, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or, or, or mother or father, or children, or fields, for me, and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, and the age to come eternal life. Now, this is a promise. I want you to hear it. He goes, I tell you the truth. This is true. If you will trust me. Now, I know by serving me, you're going to lose some things. Loyalty to me causes you to lose some comforts, some time, some money, some, even sometimes relationships, there's some loss involved in loyalty to Jesus. Because I want to promise you something. If you'll serve me, I am the great multiplier. That I tell you the truth. This is a promise from heaven. No one, that includes you. Oh, I know, but you don't know my past. No, no one who serves me will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. I promise you, I will multiply back to you. Now, he doesn't tell us how. But miraculously, in, in joy and fruit and family and all kinds of ways, I'm going to multiply back to you a level of joy and life and blessing that you will feel like at the end, I gave nothing. All I did was gain by giving. My best illustration comes out of my quiet time this week. I got the, the, par- the story in John 6 of Jesus feeding the 5,000, which actually is 10,000 people, 5,000 men. And remember, they all come to Jesus, they're out in the desert in the wilderness. And he says to Philip, Philip, what are we going to do to feed all these people? And it says, he did this to test Philip. And Philip says, I don't know, Lord. There's so many people here. He knows that the nearest town is nine, ten miles away. So Andrew comes forward and says, oh, Lord, there's a boy with five loaves and two fishes. But what are these among so many? And so Jesus takes the five loaves and two fishes, and he blesses it. And he thanks God for it, and then he has the twelve distributed. And as the 12 are distributing it, it just keeps multiplying and multiplying and multiplying until there's 12 baskets left over, and everybody's full. And the the crowds are so amazed by this revelation of Jesus as the great multiplier, they go crazy. They go, oh my goodness, and they want to make him a king, and he's got to run away from the crowds. This is such a revelation, friends. If you can get it, it'll change your life. That as you give to God, you give of your time, you give to serve, you give your money, you give your resources, you give of yourself, Somehow, when it's placed in the hands of Jesus, a miracle takes place. And those little bit of five loaves and two fishes, he multiplies it into something incredible, but we don't know how he does it. But when it's all said and done, when time passes, you say, how that miracle happened?" And it's a revelation. Our God is the great multiplier. And what he wants to say to you is, you may feel like, I have nothing to give, Pete. I'm wasted. I'm, I'm, I'm burnt out. I've been hurt. I've been abused. I'm, I'm messed up. I'm overwhelmed by life. I'm, I'm overloaded. I can't move. And God says, give me. A little bit of your loaves and fishes. Just give me the five loaves and two fishes. But what's it among so many? The needs are so vast. Just give me what you got. Put it in my hands. And if you do, I promise you, you will become great, and I will multiply a hundredfold in your life. But do you realize it's a faith issue versus unbelief? Can I trust God to serve him and not get hurt again? And not get wounded again? And not get used when there's nothing left of my Christian life goes down the tubes? And God is saying, yes, you can. What are all those verses? Not just given it shall be given to you, or the verses that say, you know what, if you lose your life, give your life away, what does he say? You'll find it. To whom much is given, is given more. But the one who buries what they got, even what they got, is taken away. You've got this biblical principle that you've got to trust God and give him what you've got. Then he gives you more. But if out of your fear you hold on to what you've got and you stay here and you just hold on, hold on, gimme, 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 gimme. gimme, He says even what you have, you feel like it doesn't, you forgot even what was said. And you lose even that. And so here's my question, friends. I want to ask you. I want to invite you to, oh, what happened? Okay, thank you. I want to invite you really to take a vow this morning. Not a vow, like a covenant vow, but to make a promise to God. And I want to invite us all To offer ourselves to God and make, in a sense, a promise to be his servant, even though we're afraid, even though we've had bad experiences, even though we come from families that screwed it all up. But now you're in the family of Jesus, and now we're to learn how to do life properly. One of those things is that function as a healthy person in a family and be a servant. Say, Lord, I am your servant, and I want to obey you. And the word obey means to listen. Out of my relationship with you, Lord, I want to hear you and follow you. But, you know, I tell you, as I was meditating on this, I said, this is like, I feel like we're all in the garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus is saying, you know, God has the cup, and he's got to drink the cup. And he's saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And he's struggling, like, Argh! And I feel like, I know a lot of you are saying, I don't know, this servant thing. And not my will. Yeah, my will, your will. You know, and, and, and it's just to be able to, to ask God, break me. You have know, this arrogance and pride thing. If God could do it for James and John and Peter, and make them servants that became a blessing to nations. God can do it for you and me. That's why their trash and all their junk is all over the Bible, so we would be encouraged. Because we know who we are, aren't we? I mean, by nature, I don't want to be a servant. I'd like everybody to serve me. I don't mind being a servant for a week or two, but for my life, (laughs) to be a servant? That's who I am? Friends, that takes a miracle from God. So I would like to invite you all to stand with me for a moment. the worship team, you can come on forward. Do you know it says in Revelation chapter 22 that the servants of Jesus, we will serve him and see him, see his face. If you don't want to be a servant of Jesus now, what makes you think you will want to serve him forever. When we serve him in the little things, in the hidden things, we are really, in a sense, functioning out of our destiny that we will serve him forever. So here's the ministry of small things, whether it's in your family, parents raising children, or children caring for aging parents, whether it's in the church, you came here, you say, Lord, how can I serve you today? I am the Lord's servant. just I'm coming to get fed by the word and worship. Or in the world, how can I serve other people and value them and see them as precious? You know, I read recently in in some survey that it takes 40 times to do a new activity until it becomes who you are. Some of us, our muscles are so weak in serving other people that it's going to be very uncomfortable to be a servant because we're not used to it. It's in us to go the other way. So I'd like to ask you to pray with me, and I'm going to invite you. To, I don't have a plunger and a scouring pad to give every one of you to take out of here, which would have been a really good prop, wouldn't it? You walk out and say, this is me. I'm a servant of the Lord, and you go to work tomorrow. <laughs> and to take, to really, in a sense, we're, make, we're going to make a, a, a vow. I want to invite you to make a promise to God together. Trust me, our God's the great multiplier that we can trust him as we give him and other people our lives, he will multiply it a hundredfold. Not fivefold, not twofold. He says a hundredfold. It's beautiful, isn't it? So if you're here this morning, in fact, and you're not a Christian, the first way to serve him is, is he's, he's died to serve you, to set you free. The word is liberate. To, your ransom is the word from Greek to liberate you from slavery. You want to surrender your heart to Christ for the first time this morning. But he's come here to liberate every one of us in this room. No matter what your background is, that you can come today and say, I am the Lord's servant. Lord, guide me to make me great. That is a servant of all. In fact, you want to be first, be a slave of all. Again, not in a dysfunctional, unhealthy way. Lord, I need you to teach me, show me how to do it. But I offer you my life. I am the Lord's servant. Okay, can you close your eyes and just reflect for a moment? And just see yourself, you know, it used to be a towel and a basin. In the days of Jesus. And I think, again, the equivalent would be a, a plunger and a scouring pad for the toilet bowl as symbolic. And just reflect on your life for a moment. And let me ask you are you functioning as a servant? Are you a servant by nature, like our God is eternally a servant? Bring your fears to, to God, I'm a afraid of this, Lord. I had bad experiences, I've been hurt. I used my gifts and my talents. I used my time, I did things. I felt like people took advantage of me. Lord, this is hard. this is painful. And Lord, you know, I'm re- everything in my will, I'm resisting this, oh God. But I hear your word. I know it's true. I know the world's definition of greatness is a lie, Lord. It's not about money and power and education. It's about being a servant of the little ones, of people the world throws aside. So, Lord, I offer you my fears. I offer you my life, which is a gift you gave me. And I ask you, Lord, to make my life a gift to other people. I give to you back, Lord, all that you've given to me. And, Lord, I ask you to give me the grace and the power from the Holy Spirit to follow you one step at a time. And I ask you, Lord, to make me a servant, just like you did in Joseph's life, just like you did here for James and John. Cleanse me, O Lord, and purify my heart that I may be like you, Jesus, an eternal servant. In your name, amen. Let's make this our prayer as we worship and sing this back to God. Now, I know that a lot of you are overwhelmed with what's going on in your life right now. Can I hear amen for that? And the idea of, like, serving other people for my life seems absurd. There's a famous story by Kierkegaard, and uh, it's called The Story of the Young Fugitive. And uh, a young man was running from some enemy soldiers, and he came to this village, and he hid the village hid him in a basement so he wouldn't get killed by the by the enemy soldiers coming into the village So Anyway, enemy, enemy soldiers arrived and looking for the young man. They couldn't find him So he said to all the villagers listen you give us that young man Or we're gonna kill every man woman and child in this village. So you have until dawn the next day Obviously the people were you know freaking out. They went to the pastor of the town and said what should we do? So the pastor went and prayed and I oh, didn't he pray he didn't pray he went and read the Bible <laughs> Opened the Bible. God give me an answer. Give me an answer. Give me an answer. And it comes to this verse in John where it says, um, it's better for one man to die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. So ah, that must be from God. So he goes to the enemy soldiers and says, ah, the young man's down in so-and-so's basement. They take him out and they execute the young man. And the whole town's rejoicing because they got saved. The pastor goes back to his, his house. That, and uh, he's very depressed. And an angel appears to him and says, well, what, what did you do? He goes, I betrayed the young man. And the angel says to him, no, no, you didn't betray the young man. You betrayed the Messiah. No, no, groaned the pastor. I didn't know. How could I have known? And the angel said, if you had set down your Bible and had gone and looked into the eyes of that young man, you would have known who he was, but you never looked into his eyes. It's a great story because the temptation for all of us is to think in in macro terms, you know, racism, oppression, let's get some programs to bring justice, to help people, which is all a good thing. But we fail to do the one most important thing, which is to look into the eyes of people and to serve them because we're so preoccupied with so many other things. But this is really about a switch in life that we actually see the value and the beauty of an individual and see Christ in them. And we serve them as we serve Christ. So it's a great, it's a very famous story. Because many times being, quote, religious can make us very arrogant and very non servant like. When really the essence of being like Jesus is to be a servant of individual people, one person at a time. So as we close here, I want to invite the prayer teams to come on forward. This altar call really is for two classes of people. One is, obviously, for if you need to come to Christ today, because Christ came to serve you, to set you free. I mean, you want to serve him by saying yes and offering your life to Christ and becoming a Christian. We want you to come forward. But the second group is, for those of you in this room, and I'm sure it's a good group like First Service, you're just saying, I'm overwhelmed. I, I just, you know what, Pete? I'm too busy and overwhelmed to, re, to see anybody's eyes and to really love them and serve them. I just... It's my whole lifestyle so out of whack. This would be such a transformation that's going to take God for me to change. And I know, I don't have an answer to say, A, B, C, this is how it's done, but I know God will lead you if you'll offer him your loaves and fishes. If you'll give him the little bit you have, whether you were off limits before and went crazy or you didn't do anything, say, God, I give you what I have. I want to be your servant, Lord. Make me your servant. Mold me, transform me. God will meet you. And I want to invite you to come forward here at the end of this service and receive prayer for God to get you on this track to mature into a servant. It really is a road that's different than the road your career or education, perhaps, or your family has set you on. It's a different path. Down. The way to greatness is servanthood. Okay? So just let's close your hands, close your eyes for a minute. Let's pray. The worship team will stay here and let's try to keep it quiet here in this uh, sanctuary so people can be prayed for up here to the left. And I want you, you, some of you know you're struggling inside and you're, ah! You want to come and receive power from heaven to get moving on this one step at a time. And so, Lord, I release a blessing into this place from heaven, Father. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. And so, Lord, I pray that you've given us something from heaven today, a little revelation. And I ask you, Father, to help everyone in this room to receive it. Let it go deep in our hearts, Lord. And may we grow into grasping this reality that you are, O God, eternally a servant, and that this really is greatness, O God. So, Lord, show us each one the path to get there and help us welcome the process as you mature us into men and women who are like Jesus. And, Lord, anybody here who may not know you personally, may they come today and receive you as Lord and start a whole new day. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Let's keep it quiet in here. I want to invite you to come forward.